if you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. We are making progress. We are in Revelation chapter 3. And I, I, I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, but I'm also going to put out another invitation. And I'm going to ask for your response. Next Sunday, I want to invite you at 10 a.m. to join me in the sanctuary. Uh, I'm excited about it. And, uh, you know, there'll always be punch list items. Anybody ever moved into an apartment, a townhouse, or a house, and, you know, you got punch list items? Anybody? Uh, we got some punch list items that'll still be going on, but uh, I think it's time that we get into that sanctuary and worship the Lord. Amen? And uh, I want to, uh, we'll be sharing with you some great things that the Lord has done over the past couple of weeks and uh, just excited about what the Lord is doing here at Battlefield. Uh, but let's jump into God's Word this morning. Man, it is an encouragement to see each and every one of you, and I'm always encouraged when we gather together for worship. Look with me in Revelation chapter 3 this morning. The precious Word of God, the Bible begins here in verse number 1, Jesus saying to John to tell this church in Sardis, he says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to gather in your house. As a body of called out believers, God, seeking to bring you the honor and the glory that you deserve. God, through the the fruit of our lips, giving you praise this morning, singing songs of praise and worship to you, asking you to revive us again, once again. Yes, even in 2021. That's what we need. So Lord, I pray that today that you will have your will and your way in this, in this time as we look at your word and hear what you have to say, not only to the church in Sardis, but to the church here in Warrington, Virginia. Lord, I pray that you'll be honored and glorified. Lord, I pray that if there's any that have strayed from thee, Lord, that you'll reclaim that one, that you'll draw us back closer to the foot of the cross. Lord, I pray for those that have never placed their faith in the risen Savior, the Lord. God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today through the preaching of your word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit that souls might be saved, whether they're here in person or watching online. Lord, I pray that you'll be with me, that you'll use the thoughts that you've implanted into my mind and into my heart. God, that you'll use my lips to communicate your truth. Lord, I'll be careful to give you the praise for all that you'll do. And the church prays this in the precious name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, again, it's good to be with you and we're uh, continuing this series 
of the seven churches of Revelation. And as we get started, remember, we're using these letters that, uh, from God's Word as a tool. We're using them as a tool that you and I can personally diagnose what might be going on in our lives, what might be going on in the life of this church, even in Warrington, Virginia, as we look back in history, we're able to see some things, we're able to understand a little bit about prophecy. And as you know, if you've been following along in this series, we've already looked at uh, four of the churches. And at the church in Ephesus, we remember uh, that was the church that had left their first love. They were doing the right things, but they were doing it for the wrong reasons. And then we looked at the church in Smyrna. Smyrna was a church that was extremely persecuted for their faith. And um, Scripture tells us that in spite of the waves after waves and waves of extreme persecution, if you remember in that passage, Jesus gives them two admonitions. He says, hey, be fearless and be faithful. Uh, thank you, Jesus. He says, it's not going to, he said, it's only going to last for a little while, but he says, be fearless and be faithful. And he finished it up to the church of Smyrna by saying, be faithful unto death. And so he said to do those things. And then we were reminded the church at Pergamos, that was the church that was really a pivotal, pivotal moment in history. They became the church of compromise. If you remember, that was the church that began to, uh, to, to kind of allow the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that we talked about a little bit. They started, uh, not only did they heed it, but they started holding on to this doctrine. And so, uh, honestly, this was... As we said a few weeks ago, the church of Pergamos was where we saw the birth of the Holy Roman Empire. Remember, there was the Roman Empire, and then there became the Holy Roman Empire. And that's where that started to take place in Pergamos. And the people began to hold on to this doctrine. And if you remember, I told you at that time, the church of Pergamos, this was the time of period where as the people were holding on to this false doctrine, this unbiblical teaching, this is when we began to see the period that we know as the medieval, the middle, or the dark ages. You remember I told you how that the, the church uh, leadership started holding the word of God away from the people. And so we learned that in Pergamos. And then last week we were talking about the church in Thyatira, which followed. And to be honest, now it's running rampant. People are really grasping and holding on to this doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And, and really the church became more pagan than it was Christian in Thyatira, and uh, you, if you remember, I told you that it was a capital offense to even have a copy or a writing of God's Word, and they would actually put people to death in Thyatira for having God's Word, and, and the church was now the ruling authority. Even politically speaking, they started to rule uh, during the time of Thyatira. Now today we're going to look at the church at Sarda in Revelation chapter 3, and really this church from um, 15 roughly 1517, 1520 A.D. to 1700 A.D. This church represents the church of the Reformation. Anybody ever heard about the Reformation? Martin Luther, Zwingli, John Knox, and on and on. And, and you remember Martin Luther, he put up his 95 Thesis, and, and the first thing that he put up about that, the very first one was faith alone. Solas fida, fida sola. And, and what he was saying was that... Uh, that what the church was doing in holding back the Word of God was not right, and he started reading the Word of God, and he wanted to get the Word of God in the people's hands. And so we have that time and that period. But historically, as you see, Sardis uh, was the capital city of the Lydian Empire, and it actually was one of the greatest cities of uh, the ancient world, and it was situated on the eastern bank 
of the Pactolus River, and actually the city itself was strategically located on a rocky spur, um, and it was kind of surrounded by three cliffs on Mount Timulus, T-M-O-L-U-S, Timulus. And so this is where it was situated, and it was very strategic. As you can imagine, it was up high, about 1,500 feet in the air, uh, when you get up to the Acropolis, and, and it was very strategic with the cliffs surrounding it, it kind of made the city impenetrable. And so uh, in a defense, uh, militarily speaking, uh, defensively, it was a, what many would consider an invincible city of that time. It was also known as a center for trafficking goods and services during that time, and really from uh, going from Mesopotamia all the way over to the Greek Ionian settlements, it was uh, known as a, uh, as a city of commerce as well. But also, during its time as a Roman city, the city of Sardis became known as a Christian center. However, the church at Sardis, much like the city itself, as we've already read in Scripture, became complacent. Let me ask a question. Has anybody here ever felt like you've become a little complacent in your walk with the Lord? Anyone? Uh, this is, this is so, so spiritually seeking, speaking, the church became much like the city who had become complacent. And ironically, the church's death was very similar in many ways to that which happened to the city 700 years prior when a wealthy king by the name of King Croesus was reigning. Now, Croesus, he was... Uh, Let's just say he was overly wealthy. You say, could anybody be overly wealthy? Yes. Uh, Croesus was overly wealthy. He was known for his wealth, which then the city of Sardis was known for its wealth. The city of Sardis also was uh, known for its, as I told you, its strategic and impenetrable position. Uh, and during this time that Croesus reigned in Sardis, there was also another king. Maybe you've heard of him. He was uh, over the Persian Empire. His name was Cyrus the Great, King Cyrus the Great. And uh, Croesus had it in his mind. He said, look, look at, you know, he was ready for a fall. He, he said, look at me. I've got everything. I've got all the money. I've got a great city. We're walled. Nobody can penetrate our city. Guess what we're going to do? Army, let's get together. We're going to cross over the Halley's River. We're going to go out of our city's area we're going to move out this river. You see it strategically. If you get close, you see it running through Asia Minor. He says, we're going to cross over this, and we're going to go after Osiris. Congratulations. Bad decision. Anyway, he's so confident. He takes off. And uh, I put here in your notes, just a reminder, we know what happens when we get a little bit proud, right? You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, right? The Bible says this. It says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Oh, we have to be so careful with this idea of pride. So anyway, Croesus, he believes that he can take down Cyrus, and so he goes out on this venture, and he gets out there, and literally they're doing battle, back and forth, back and forth, and it really is a stalemate because he's run up against superior forces. And so Croesus, he decides, he says, here's what I'm going to do. Ooh, starting to get a little cold. We're going to go home for the winter. And so he thinks that he can just head back to uh, Sardis and that Cyrus will not follow because everybody knows that Sardis is impenetrable. So Croesus gets his army and they start going home. When they get back to Sardis, they're surprised to find that Cyrus is right on their heels. He says, uh-oh, 
So guess what he does? He goes up to the Acropolis. Remember, I told you it's about 1,500 feet in the air and kind of blocks himself in. And here comes Cyrus and his army. And Cyrus is upset because there's no way to get into the city. But he knows that he has Croesus and his army defeated if he can just find a way into this area. He's down in the lowlands of the valley and he's trying to get up. And he says, how can we get up there? So here's what Cyrus does. He does what every good commander does. He offers a reward. He says, any one of my men that find a way into that city will be rewarded. And so one little eager soldier uh, by the name of Hyrodes, Hyrodes, he actually watches and he watches and he watches. And finally he sees one night, I don't know whether it's the cliffs or the wall, but he sees a soldier and the soldier accidentally drops his helmet. And the helmet comes tumbling down. And it was said that Hyrodes, he watches this soldier and he disappears. And the soldier then reappears. And what he sees is the soldier comes out over the wall and he crawls down. And then he gets his helmet and he crawls back up. And then he disappears and then he sees him again. This soldier says, hold on. If he can crawl down out of that, that impenetrable force to get his helmet and get back in, there must be a way into the city. And so what he does, he goes and he finds that way. And he sets the example for the rest of the Persian army. And the Persian army sees that this one soldier has found a way in. And guess what happens? In the middle of the night, Cyrus and his army go and they take the city of Sardis. It was said that the city of Sardis died that night because of complacency. Hello. They died because of complacency. They thought that they were an impenetrable force, Battlefield Baptist Church. They thought that nothing could, could advance an attack on them. That's why we have to be so very careful. And much like the city of Sardis, the same thing happened to the church in Sardis. Now if you look back with me in Revelation chapter 3, the sad thing about this text, and maybe you're saying it's a good thing because we don't typically, uh, I've been covering what's right. Well, Sadly, Jesus doesn't say there's anything right going on in Sardis. He just immediately jumps to what's wrong. And so let's look here at verse number 1. Jesus says, And unto the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Watch what he says. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Interestingly enough, the church in Sardis, here it goes, now watch it, they had a reputation that they were alive. But Jesus says, you might have a reputation that you're alive, but you're actually dead. We must be careful in 2021 about having an outward appearance like the church at Sardis. They had this outward appearance that everything was fine and dandy. And yet they were ignoring their inward condition. We all have to be careful of that, don't we? We have to be careful of allowing the inward condition to decay while putting on airs and graces on the outside as if we're trying to fool somebody that we're super spiritual. Oh, we have to be careful. In fact, in the Christian Standard Bible, Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 27 gives us a really easily understood illustration of what took place in Sardis. Now in this verse, Jesus is actually speaking to the religious crowd of the day. And he says these words, he says, uh, Well unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you are like 
whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. Oh, my friends, like this illustration, the church at Sardis, it's thriving, it's healthy appearance on the outside was simply masking an inner decay. Oh, be careful, church. We have to be careful that we protect ourselves from having this reputation on the outside while allowing inner decay to take over. And sadly, much to our shame, many churches and believers have been lulled to sleep. And they're honestly, honestly speaking, been lulled to sleep. And many times when I talk with folks, they have no clue that they are in the midst of dying or that they already have died spiritually. Now, I'm not talking about they've lost their, their salvation. Please don't misunderstand me. But they've allowed sin. They've allowed other decisions to take control so that there's no power. There's no life breathing in them. The Bible is very, very clear on this. And Jesus, look again in verse number 1. He says, I know that works that thou hast a name that thou livest but art dead. And the Bible is very clear on this topic of being alive or dead spiritually. If we're dead spiritually, here's the reality. And Baptists are... And Baptists tend to be scared of the Holy Spirit, but we ought to get away from being scared of the Holy Spirit. Baptists are like, oh, oh, don't, uh, don't talk about the Holy Spirit. We like God the Father and God the Son. You better like God the Holy Spirit because they're three persons in one, <laughs> right? Well, we get a little scared about the Holy Spirit sometimes in Baptist-y circles, right? It's like, oh, oh, did the pastor mention the Holy Spirit today? You ought to be thankful for the Holy Spirit residing inside of you. Listen, if we're dead spiritually, the Holy Spirit is the one that comes and quickens or makes us alive. In fact, Paul put it this way in writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2 and verse 1. He says to the saints, he says, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Man, what a mighty God we serve. He took me who was dead in my trespasses and sin, and he said, guess what? I'm going to give you new life. And I got news for you. I'm thankful for it. If you saw me before Jesus, you wouldn't like me. Some of you don't like me after Jesus, but whatever. Get over yourself. My wife doesn't like me all the time either. Oh, man, what a great God we serve. He does. You know what? I was saying it this week. Our God does all things well. Amen? Even when we're in the midst of the valley, He's still on His throne doing things big time. What a great God we serve. Oh, listen, being dead in our sins, think about it. It means when we're dead in our sins, we are in an extreme state of misery. When we're dead in our sins, we are in a state of deplorable wretchedness. That's the only time I've ever been a deplorable. It's when I was dead in my sins. But look at verse 5. Verse 5 of the same passage in Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible says, even when we were dead in sins, God has quickened us. It says, God has quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. Oh, my friends, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And anyone, 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 anyone that believes in him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say it, he said it. And so guess what? That means that's, that's, it's truth. Some of us have a problem with truth today. It's like, we don't believe this is truth. I got news for you. This is the only truth out there. 
Your truth don't matter and neither does mine. The only truth that matters is what thus saith the Lord. I think our country would be in a better state if we got back to that. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3 reminds us that God has begotten us unto a living hope. I don't know about you, we got hope plastered left and right in this gymnasium. And the reason we plastered it is not because the, name, the church's name is Hope Baptist Church, although that's a pretty good name. Uh, the reason we put it on there is because our hope is alive. He's not dead. He ain't like Buddha hanging out in some tomb. He ain't like somebody else that's dead. Our Savior is alive forevermore. And for those that don't know about it, He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming to get His bride. You say, I'm a man. I'm not a bride. You're the bride of Christ. You might as well get over yourself because you're going to be dressed in fine linen one day. I'm going to talk about it here in a minute. You say, well, I wore, I wore a tux or I wore a shirt or khakis or whatever you wore. No, you're going to wear fine linen one day. Woo, I, yeah, I get excited too about that. Oh, my friends, we have a living hope. And so, so look back at the text because Jesus denounces this church in Sardis because here's what happened. They substituted an outward profession and were hiding an inward deadness. That outward profession to them was more important than what was going on inside. And Jesus says, you got this testimony. You got this reputation for being a church that's alive. A lot of people are looking at you, Sardis, and they think you're doing big things, but you're not. Hey, Battlefield, a lot of people are looking at you. You're supporting, oh, all these missionaries. You're doing bigly, Battlefield. Oh, we better be careful. Better be careful. Better be careful putting too much stress on what we think we're doing and not enough on what God is doing. Oh, friends, we got to wake up because look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. At the end of verse 2, Jesus also denounces uh, this church for their incomplete works. Notice he says this. He says, I have not found thy works perfect before God. You see, physically all was alive and well, but spiritually most of them were dead. And the word perfect here in verse number 2 actually means to finish, to accomplish, to complete, or to end. So evidently, this was what I say, uh, this is what I would call a busy church. They were busy doing all kind of things. Look at us. Look at us doing all kind of things. We're going to start a new program. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to have this. We're going to get together and have a fish fry on Friday night. They're going to do all these things, but they never finished anything. They started a bunch of things, but they weren't finishing. Their works were incomplete. Their reputation before men was glowing, but their reputation with God was left wanting. It's as if they had spent a lot of time, watch this, it's as if they had spent a lot of time developing religion, but very little time devoted to building their relationship with Jesus Folks, we do not need religion. We need Jesus. You need Jesus, sir. Young person, you need Jesus. You don't need what the world can offer you. You don't need uh, some hand-me-down from somebody, some give-out. What you need is free salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ma'am, you need Jesus too. I know the ladies were getting excited like I was going to leave them out. No, you need Jesus too. We all need Jesus. And that's what this church needed. 
You see, because if we look back in time, if we go back and you and I are to crack the history books and look at history, what we see, it's interesting, but it's also sad at the same time, is that this church in Sardis, which in many ways, like I said, represents this church of the Reformation, they would have seen it all. They would have heard it all. They would have participated most likely in a lot of, watch it, spiritual reforms. They would have been around when the Protestants that were calling for these reforms, remember they protested, they left the Holy Roman Empire, Martin Luther with the Lutherans and Zwingli and Knox with the Presbyterians and on and on. They, They started protesting all of these things. But folks, we don't need reform. What we need is repentance and revival. And that's what that church needed. And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, what you need is not reform. What you need the most It's good old-fashioned revival. People get nervous when you say revival anymore. What's that mean? That means you need to be brought back to life. There's a little bit of deadness going on. We need the Holy Spirit to kind of re-engage us, to wake us up to the reality that people are dying and going to a devil's hell, and we're sitting silently beside watching all this going on. God help us. So what does Jesus say needs to be done? Look at number two. Verse 2, here's what he says. He says, here's what's wrong. You have a testimony that you're alive, but you're dead. So what are we going to do about it? Look at verse number 2. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Look at verse 3. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Listen, remember, as a city, Sardis had been defeated by a surprise attack. You and I must be alert and ready for the surprise attack of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and it comes all the time. I guarantee you, when you drive out of the parking lot today, you will be attacked. You might be attacked right now. And what I would say is, God, bind Satan from this room. Bind him from those that are watching right now because you need to hear what God has to say to the church. You see, we have to be very, very careful. The Bible says be sober in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary is a roaring lion. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. Oh, my friends, Jesus said, here's what needs to be done. He said the first thing that needs to be done, he says you need to be watchful. You need to wake up. You need to be alert. Hold your spot with me and turn to Romans chapter 13. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 13. This is a great passage of Scripture over here. Paul writing to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 13. I like to see when the Bible pages turn. Mm, That's good. Romans chapter 13. Yeah, you know it's okay to bring your Bible to God's house. I won't get upset with you one bit. The world might get upset for you for having one. That's what was happening back in Pergamos. But you can bring your Bible to God's house and, man, people will be excited. So look at Romans chapter 13. Drop down to verse number 11. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and that, knowing the time that now it is high time to what? To awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Listen, I was saved September the 16th, 1980. 
the ultimate glorification of my, my spiritual uh, transformation, my journey, if you please, is nearer now than when I first believed. I'm closer to that side than I am that side. If you don't believe it, and you say, well, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm only such and such of age. Your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. Every day it's getting nearer. Every second it's getting nearer and nearer and nearer. Look what Paul says. He says, and that knowing the time that now it's high time to wake out of sleep for our salvation is nearer than when we believed. The night, he says, is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Verse number 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting nor in drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness not in strife and in envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Oh, my friends, how we need to be watchful. We need to wake up. Uh, I know I've said it a lot, and sometimes you might think I'm like a broken record, but I hope you realize the truth. The devil is slick. He doesn't like you. He doesn't like your wife. He doesn't like your husband. He doesn't like your children. He doesn't like your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, your in-laws, your outlaws. He hates you. He's out to deceive you. He's out to destroy you and to uh, rule you and to accuse you. And he does the same thing to me. That's why Paul, that's why Jesus here is actually saying what Paul said to the church at Rome. He's saying, you got to be watchful. He said, church at Sardis, you got a testimony. People think you're alive. But when I look at this church, he says, I see that you're dying on the inside. You got to be watchful. The Bible says in Colossians 3, it's really, it, it, where's Ernie? It really is about focus, focus, focus. I joke about it all the time. Ernie and I joke about it all the time. But Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. The Bible reminds us that if you and I are risen with Christ, then you and I need to be seeking those things and setting our affection on the things above, not on the things of earth. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 14, he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. Oh, my friends, when our focus is where it needs to be, we will be in a better position spiritually to protect ourselves from sin, We'll be in a better position to protect ourselves from false teaching. And we'll be in a better position to protect ourselves from anything else that comes down the pike. Jesus said, be watchful. But he continues in verse 2. Look back at verse 2. He continues back in verse 2. He says, and strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen the things that remain. By the way, look at verse 4. Because verse 4 reveals a little bit of good news. Verse 4 tells us that there are a few people in Sardis that had not defiled their garments. And so, spiritually speaking, I don't believe that when Jesus says uh, strengthen those things that remain, I don't believe that He's speaking about people, but I believe He's talking about the graces and the true teachings of God that people were still holding on to. He said, hey, there's enough still going on. There's a few people that are still believing, still walking by faith and not by sight. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to be watchful, but you need to strengthen the truth. You need to strengthen those graces that people are still holding on to because it's going to benefit you. It's going to benefit the church. It might even bring new life to the church. And so he says, strengthen those things that remain. He says, I know that many are being plagued by a spiritual slumber 
But he said, be watchful and strengthen those things that remain. But notice what he says in verse 3. He continues with his recipe for success. He says, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Notice he says three things. He says, remember, hold fast, and repent. This is what he says to do. He says, remember. He says, first of all, he says, I want you to be watchful. Second of all, strengthen the things that remain. And then, remember, hold fast, and repent. Well, my friends, we're to remember that we're to live and to walk in the Spirit. Not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And I would just suggest that when we walk in the Spirit, things have a way of working out a little bit better. Have you ever tried to walk in the power of your own strength and had uh, calamity take place in your life? Man, when we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's what Jesus is saying. Live and walk in the Spirit. But when individuals decide to grieve the Holy Spirit through sinful choices, when individuals decide to quench the Holy Spirit by refusing to listen, as I was talking about Wednesday night, refusing to listen, refusing to let the Holy Spirit of God lead and guide their lives, the church invariably becomes infected. The church becomes infected, and sooner or later, the church, one by one, remember the church is the body of believers, the called out assembly of baptized believers. That's the church. It's not this building. It's us. One by one, invariably, the church begins to die. Jesus said, remember. He also said, hold fast. He said, hold fast to what you know to be true. By the way, Philippians 4 and verse number 8. I want you to write it down. If you struggle with stinking thinking, write down Philippians 4, 8. And I tell people this all the time. Get some index cards. Write Philippians 4, 8 on the index card, and don't cheat. Don't just write down the little, the little bullet points because uh, like I did in my notes, you know, it's like whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We got to get rid of stinking thinking because stinking thinking will pull us down. Jesus said, hold on to what's true. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21 and 22, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, he says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. And I threw verse number 22 in just for good measure. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If it appears to be evil, you need to run the other way. If there is any chance that somebody else could construe what you're doing as evil, you need to run away. Amen? Because guess what? Moms and dads, I got news for you. I don't care whether your child is uh, 2 or 22. They're watching. They're watching to see how you're living your life. They may never say anything to you, but they're watching. They're watching you, Grandpa, Grandma. They're watching you. Uncle, Auntie, they're watching to see what type of life you're going to live. And so we must hold fast to that which is true. 2 Timothy in chapter 1 and verse number 13, Paul wrote and he said, Hold fast that form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10, 23, a great passage for the church. The Bible says, let us hold fast that profession of faith. And what does it say? Without wavering. Stand strong. 
and hold fast that profession of faith. For he is faithful that promised. And Jesus said, remember, he said, hold fast. But he also said, here's one we don't want to talk about. He said, repent. He said, repent. Sir, if you're here today, and I'm just going to give you a little pre-wrap pre, uh, uh, up here. If you know that you have a reputation for being alive, but you know inside, sir, ma'am, young person, you know that you are dying spiritually, it's time to repent. It's time to get over yourself. It's time to come back to the throne of God and ask Jesus to do what only he can do. He's faithful and just, the Bible says, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. So we need to repent in regards whatever we have done individually, what we've done corporately, maybe what we've departed from. The Bible tells us to turn away from evil. The old theologian of yesteryear used to put it this way, do right, do right, do right, until their stars fall from their sockets. Just do right. And you don't need some white-headed preacher telling you that. We know that. The Lord wants His church to be clean. Remember I told you, one day we're going to have that fine linen. He wants His church to be clean. He wants His church to be pure and to be holy. Look at the end of verse number 3 because He's pretty serious about it. Because in the end of verse 3 He says, If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know the hour that I will come upon thee. In other words, do it. Watch. Remember. He says, strengthen the things that remain. Remember, hold fast, repent, do these things. And if you aren't going to do it, I'm going to come on you as a thief and you're not going to know when I'm coming. Oh, my friends, he's pretty serious. In verse 5 and 6, as we wrap it up, Jesus declares that if individuals in the church will repent, he talks about the, the idea of becoming overcomers and talking about the fact that the church would be restored here. Look at verse number 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Amen? I don't want my name blotted out of any book of life. Do you? He says, I'm not going to blot your name out. But also notice what he says. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Isn't that right? If you confess, isn't that what Jesus said over Matthew chapter 10? I believe it was. He said, if any man confess me before men, I will confess him before my heavenly father. But if you confess me not before men, I will not confess you before my heavenly father. You can do that research on your own. I think it's Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. Oh, my friends, we have to be careful. Listen, we overcome. Here's how we overcome. We overcome when we walk in his righteousness alone, period. Just put a period at it. Because see, Isaiah told us in Isaiah 64, 6, that my righteousness, your right, our righteousness is like filthy rags. But as I've alluded to twice now already, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 8, the Bible tells us this. It says that one day the church, you and I, the bride of Christ, one day we will be arrayed in fine linen. Shoo! Clean and white. Man, just been to the dry cleaner. All pressed, ready to go. Got the wedding gown ready. I don't feel. I don't want to wear no wedding gown, Pastor. I, I'm, a, I'm a tough man. Uh, you want to wear this wedding gown? You, you're going to want to put on this gown, arrayed. The Bible says in fine linen, clean and white. And the fine linen. Notice what it says. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. The only reason we have that white 
fine linen righteousness of the saints is because of Jesus. As overcomers, not only will we be arrayed in fine linen, but Jesus says our names will not be blotted out of the book of life. And Jesus says our names will be confessed before His heavenly Father as well as all of the angels. Oh, what a day that's going to be. The church in Sardis, here it is. The church in Sardis had a reputation with man, but they had a real problem with God. They had a reputation with man, but they had a real problem with God. They needed to repent. They needed revival. And so this morning as we wrap up, let's be honest. Let's quit playing church. Let's just be honest and transparent. Guess what? There's nobody in this room better than anybody. Jesus loves you all the same. He doesn't love me anymore because I'm standing on this wooden platform. He doesn't love me anymore because I'm teaching the Word of God. He loves us all the same. The ground is level at the cross. So let's just be real transparent. Let's just be real honest with one another this morning. If you have a reputation, and you know the answer to this before I even ask it. If you have a reputation with man of being alive spiritually, but you know, you know on the inside that you're dying. You know what you need to do today? You need to be like David of old. You remember? After David had his sin with Bathsheba, and the prophet Nathan came to him, and it reveals that David, he says, Thou art the man. And you know, in Psalm, you can go to Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, but in Psalm 51, it's David. He cries out to God. He, he, he repents of his sin, but he cries out to God. And he says, restore the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. Create a clean heart in me. If that's you this morning, that's exactly what you need to do. Because, see, you're a part of the church. And if individually we know that we are dying, it's only a matter of time, one by one, all the way through. See, you know the only thing that spreads faster than good news? Horrible news. Folks, we got to stand up for Jesus. We got to stand up. We got to be watchful. We got to strengthen the things that remain. We got to remember. We got to hold fast. We need to repent. And so, like David of old, I pray that you will humble yourselves and come to the throne of God's grace where you can obtain mercy and find grace to help you, to help me in our time of need on May the 23rd, I believe, 2021. It's a time of need. Amen? It's a time of need. And I pray that you'll do that. By the way, the warning signs, the warning signs of a dead church. The warning signs, and I'll wrap up with this. The warning signs of a dead church should be considered. Number one, churches die when the health of its members is failing. You know, like a physical body that's made up of a bunch of cells, so is the body of Christ. There's the eye, there's the ear, there's the nose, there's the foot, there's the hand, there's the arm. We're all part of the body of Christ. And if one part of the body is hurting, one part of the body is dying, there's a problem. And guess what? If you have a little toe ache, who do you go to? You go to a doctor. If you got a headache, you go, if you can't get rid of it with some Tylenol or whatever, you go to the doctor. If you have a backache, you go to Dr. Patel, it seems, around here. That's who everybody goes to. If you have uh, chiropractic problems, you go to Dr. Mike, whatever. But you go and you get it fixed. Spiritually speaking, churches die 
when the health of its members is failing. Number two, churches die. Churches die when they rely on their reputation, past or present. Forty years, forty years this church has had a good reputation all around the world, sending out missionaries, supporting missionaries, people's lives being changed by the power of the gospel, being saved, baptized, added to the church, going from this edifice and going all around the world and sharing the love and the truth of Christ with other people. But guess what? We cannot rest on our laurels. When we rely on our reputation, we begin to die. We be, and I put down in my notes, when we become more concerned with our reputation and what we can get, rather than going into all the world and giving to go into all the world, we got a problem. In fact, it was noted, Christian, if you guys can put this quote up if you have it, it was noted Christian author and teacher and preacher, a guy by the name of Vance Habner. Here's what he said. Spiritual movements go through four stages. Wow. Here's what he said. They go through four stages. Number one, a man. Number two, a movement. Number three, a machine. And number four, a monument. Obviously, the man that Vance Habner was talking about is Jesus Christ. Obviously, the movement that he was talking about in his quote is the local New Testament church. But friends, when a movement, it becomes a machine, when it becomes focused on everything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified, when it becomes focused on our traditions, when it becomes focused on my opinion, when it becomes focused on anything other than Jesus, it's now a machine. And the problem with machines are that machines tend to focus on only what keeps the machine going. And then finally, the movement becomes a monument when the movement is living solely like the church at Sardis. They were living solely on reputation. God help us. God help us to not die from relying on our reputation. You see, because when that happens, the church is dead. My friends, when we cease to be about Jesus, the Savior of the world, we cease to be His church. When we cease to be about Jesus, the Savior of the world, we cease to be His church. And then thirdly, I just put churches die when there is no concern for its spiritual condition. When complacency and apathy begin to take hold, the church is dying. Again, friends, don't get me wrong. I don't believe that Christians lose their salvation. But I do believe that when we sin, when we grieve, and when we quench the Holy Spirit, that there's no life, there's no power, and there's no vibrancy in our lives. And when that begins to happen, if there's no power, there's no vibrancy, there's no excitement in my life, and then that happens with you, that happens with you, and on and on and on. And let's just say this whole half of the room, we have no vibrancy, we have no power, we have no passion to live for Jesus. But over here, we got the ones who are living for Jesus. Let me ask you, how do you think that's going to affect this church? Jesus said to the church at Sardis, you have a name that thou livest, but you're dead. He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to, I want you to be watchful. Wake up. Be alert to what's going on around you in 2021. I want you, 
I want you to strengthen those things that remain. Those that are holding on to the Word of God. There's still a few. There's still a few. First 4 says there's still a few that are holding fast. There's still a few that have not, not uh, messed up their garments. He says, just, just strengthen those things that remain. And he said, and while you do it, remember those things that you've learned. Hold fast to the truth of God's Word. And if need be, repent. Repent. And so that's my encouragement to all of us. Not to you, but to me, to all of us that we would do just that this morning. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, that's the first step, trusting Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the reminder from Scripture of this church in Sardis that teaches us a valuable lesson. God, not to rely on, on our reputation, to be aware if we're spiritually sick. God, to take a spiritual inventory, so to speak, this morning. Lord, help us to go away from this place watchful. Help us to open up our eyes to the reality of what's taking place in and all around us. God, help us to strengthen the things that remain. Help us to remember. Help us to hold fast and to repent. God, certainly, my desire is that we as a church, and Lord, I pray that's the church's desire, that we would bring you honor and that we would bring you glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen us. Give us the wisdom. Give us the wherewithal. Give us the courage and the stamina to stand up while we still have an opportunity to do so. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for your provision in our life, your protection in our life. Thank you for all the many blessings that you have given us. Lord, we're so, so needful but you're such a giving God. We can't even begin to express how great you are. But Lord, I pray that you will do what only you can now. That you will draw us close to the foot of the cross where we might find forgiveness of sin. Where we might be able to recommit ourselves to you. Where if we've never trusted in Christ, we might come seeking to begin a relationship with your son, the savior of the world. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the praise for what you'll do during this song of invitation and in the days to come as we celebrate and make much of you. Father, we pray this and ask this in the precious name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.